Welcome to Gluten Free on Tap, where you can kill a beer or two and it won't kill you. I'm Dina, and you're listening to episode 2 Contamination. I just couldn't help myself. All of my bad movie puns, and then I was like, cross-contamination. Contamination like zombies. So I'm sorry if that uh, intro was a little much for you, but I'm highly amused by it. Uh, Thanks for stopping by. As you can tell from the title, I thought today we would talk a little about cross-contamination. So, got myself a beer. Today I am drinking Tantamount Stout, which is from Evasion. That weather's getting cold, guys. Just need me something dark, warming. I love a stout. My favorite barley beer was, uh... you know what? Let's not go there. We're not gonna go there. Tantamount Stout, it's delicious. So, cross-contamination. Where do we find that in brewing? The very first place for me was in my very own homebrew equipment. Things that are glass and metal, those can be properly cleaned and sanitized, and you can take those forward with you into your new gluten-free homebrewing operation. But it turns out that plastic is permeable So a lot of the brewing supplies that I had, I couldn't use anymore. There's just no way to clean them on a level that can guarantee safety. So for me, I took a look around and that was replacing all of my hoses and pipes. I had a big plastic spoon that I used to stir my kettle with. I replaced my plastic carboys with new ones, my racking cane, my little bottle filler, those were plastic. And the most painful one of all was my all grain setup. I was using, um, you know, those coolers, like Gatorade coolers. Uh, I had a mash ton and an HLT and that's all plastic. So those guys, I cleaned them out and they are sitting on my back porch, currently looking for a better home while I stare lovingly at grandfathers on the internet. It makes me truly sad. It really does. As a side note, this is also a good reason why someone who is a barley brewer should not be trying to one-off make a batch of gluten-free beer for their friends. The plastic equipment just can't be cleaned enough to guarantee that that will be safe. So if you want to make gluten-free beer for someone you love, using your barley setup is not the way to do it. While we're on the topic, because it always comes up and in some circles on the internet, especially 
uh, those with celiacs and gluten-free people, Clarity Farm or Brewer's Clerics, not safe. Just gonna go straight to the point with that. So the way that that enzyme works is it takes the gluten protein and breaks it down into smaller pieces. And it, that might make it more digestible for someone who has a mild allergy or a, a slight intolerance, as they call it. But for someone who is a celiac like I am, those gluten proteins, they're still gluten proteins no matter how small they are. So they may be small enough to fool uh, the tests that are designed to, to detect gluten and they might be small enough for someone with a mild allergy, but there is nothing small enough to prevent my body from uh, doing some serious intestinal damage. So in the truly gluten-free circles, we just stay away from Clarity Firm. It's not a thing for us. There's actually a really great informative slideshow, like a PowerPoint presentation that Gig of Portland did. And they have some really good illustrations that make it easy to understand exactly what that enzyme is doing, along with science that shows um, that essentially that people are still reacting to it. So I will drop a link for that down in the notes. So, cross-contamination. Where else do we find cross-contamination? Another really common place is in yeast. Uh, Gluten-free brewers use strictly dry yeast because most liquid yeasts have been propagated, which is to say fed and grown on a barley slurry to kind of prep them and help them grow and get them ready for getting out on the field and doing their job, but that makes them contaminated. So we have to stay away from most liquid brewer's yeast, unless it's obtained from a source that you know 100% is gluten-free. Like I think that the gluten-free homebrew website in their store, they did a test run in selling gluten-free brewer's yeast this summer, but they did say that it was only going to be seasonal when the weather cools down, it's going to be harder to ship that in cold temperatures. This also means that you should be uh, careful when drinking some ciders or meads. Most traditional cider and winemakers are going to use properly designated dry yeast, but Sometimes they do experiment and they try throwing some brewer's yeast into these things and then the batch is contaminated. It does make the parts per million very, very low, but like I said, for someone with celiac like me, still too much. Oh my gosh, while we're on the subject of yeast, I just tried brewing uh, my first ciders and I used dry yeast in them, of course. I used Nottingham in one and a champagne yeast in the other. And oh my gosh. Those yeasties are beasties. The champagne yeast took the 
wort, I guess. Is it still wort when it's cider? Um, it took it all the way down to zero on my hydrometer. They ate every drop of sugar in there. It was such a nice change from normal gluten-free brewing because in gluten-free brewing we're always worried about our conversion, trying to extract um, as much of the sugar out of our grains as possible. So with apple juice, you don't have to worry about that. And literally those yeast, they ate every drop of sugar in that. Like I like dry cider, but flat zero was like, even that's a little too dry for me. The other batch had a Nottingham yeast in it and it didn't go all the way to zero, but it went pretty close. <laughs> so I learned a little about back sweetening. Uh, took everything back down to about five and a half percent alcohol, gave it a little bit of sweetness back and they turned out really delicious. One of them, the one with the champagne yeast is more of a dry cider and it's got some cinnamon and some star anise and spices like that. It was really good with Thanksgiving dinner. The other cider with the Nottingham yeast in it, I put uh, a quart of organic pineapple juice in it and I was initially worried that because pineapples are very tropical and acidic that that might inhibit the yeast or the fermentation but that doesn't seem to have happened at all it's delicious and creamy and dreamy and tropical I think I should make it again next summer when the weather's hot and then the beer that I have on tap in my keyser right now is a pumpkin beer. It's got a 100% sorghum extract base. I was really nervous about that. I've never been a big fan of sorghum beers. You know, they always have that funky twang to them. I've never been able to get past it. So sorghum beers have always seemed pretty well suited to being IPAs where you can just hop them to hell and back and try to cover up that twang with something So I was pretty worried about that going in but I took some advice from the gluten-free home brewer Online he dropped a note on my Instagram and I think his advice really worked out for me He recommended that I use um, plenty of yeast nutrient and calcium chloride. He said that he puts of 11 grams of DAP or dimonium phosphate in the last 15 minutes of the boil, 10 grams of the calcium chloride at the start. I had to do a little bit of math conversion. He said he did that for a 23 liter batch. I think he's in Australia, um, but it turned out to be roughly uh, near five gallons. I think it's our the same equivalent of our like standard five gallon batch so I made this sorghum beer I followed that advice um, I roasted some pumpkin in the oven and threw that in there along with some pie spices and it's not bad coming out of primary it had a lot more of the kind of squashy vegetable flavor and I really hoped that that would stick around but coming out of the secondary I lost a lot of it so I think next time pumpkin will go 
into fermentation instead of into the boil. I even took that beer to the latest uh, Zero Tolerance homebrew meeting in Seattle. And I'm pleased to report that the people who had it there said that there was very little sorghum twang to it. And I agree, I don't think that there's a lot of sorghum twang going on there. So it's good to know that that can really be combated. And people even suggested uh, cutting sorghum in the future with things like rice syrup solids, which we all know I'm pretty familiar with having made a beer 100% out of rice syrup solids. <laughs> all right, so as far as cross-contamination goes, we talked about equipment and we talked about yeast and those are really your main culprits. You can also get cross-contamination in the same ways you get it outside of beer, you know, in kitchens. If your kitchen is not 100% gluten-free, maybe you're the only person in your family who has this allergy or this condition, then you would want to be really vigilant in your kitchen and uh, be cleaning off your counters and everything really well. Which you should be doing anyway. Everybody knows that making beer is just sanitize, sanitize, sanitize over and over and over again. <laughs> um, so I think that's all for now. If you want to chip anything into this conversation, feel free to stop by my Instagram and leave me a message there. My social media handle is glutenfreeot. Well, I'm going to get out of here and finish this beer, so I'll talk to y'all later. Bye. Oh my god, what am I even doing? Just remember, you're the Delilah of beer. Delilah. But with beer.